If you'll remain, uh, remain standing with me for a moment, we have a rare privilege, and it's been a good number of years, too many years in our church. Today, we get to commission one of our own as our representatives in Kigali, Rwanda, Africa. God has called Nathan and Christy Wilson and their three beautiful little children to serve him there. Uh, Nathan had a, a really good and very demanding job down in Irvine, but he felt, as you're going to hear, he felt the call of God to serve him overseas years ago. And Nathan and Christy, both at their own expense, with great sacrifice of time and money, prepared themselves for the task. Uh, they've been on the East Coast receiving their cross-cultural training for the last few months. And today is their last Sunday with us. A week from today, they'll fly to Africa. So we're going to pray for them and ask God's blessing on them. I'd like to ask if there's any members of our prayer team that they would come forward first and join me and the Wilsons. And then as many of you as would like, let's lay hands on the Wilsons and pray for them as they go to Gigali, Rwanda, Africa to serve the Lord there. and Christy, we love you. Lord, how good you are to have, having only one son to have made him a missionary. Take on flesh, live a sinless, righteous life among us, experience rejection and betrayal and death so that we could also be called your sons and daughters. Thank you. And from that time forward, you've been calling other sons and daughters to follow the footsteps of your son and spread the gospel at cost of themselves. We send these, these five in the name of Jesus, that people there who need him, who are dying without him, may hear. Thank you, Lord, that as we pray, there are Africans alive in Rwanda this morning who do not know you. And in due time, in your time, because the Wilsons were willing to go and proclaim the gospel, they will be saved. And we will likely never meet them on this earth, but we will rejoice with all of the nations and say that you alone are worthy. And that every sacrifice we made was small in comparison. And honestly, when it's all over, we will say to you that we made no sacrifice at all, that it was all honor and all blessing. So bless these precious ones, protect them, care for them, give them your strength, your comfort, your encouragement. When pressures come, may your grace, Lord, be more than sufficient. May they draw close to you, be more like Jesus. And we thank you in Christ's name. We dedicate them to you and commission them to serve you well in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's awesome to be back amongst our church. We missed you guys quite a bit. Uh, we spent the last seven weeks uh, in training in Virginia, actually, teaching us a whole host of things. And 
some of which I want to talk to you about this morning, about what it is that a missionary does. So I'll start with my testimony, move into calling, talk about what the task of a missionary is, and then how we as the church partner together to accomplish God's purpose. And uh, I thank you so much for your support. <laughs> you guys are, are very loving, and it's awesome. Um, my family's been involved with you for a long time now. Uh, I think we moved to California in 2003 and first became a part of this church. I know so many of you have blessed multiple generations of our family, and I thank you for that deeply. Uh, and at this time, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, Lord, thank you so much for an opportunity to serve you as part of a church. I pray that you just open our eyes to hear the message that you have for each of us, knowing that you do not leave us alone, but you call us to worship you in a church, and you empower us by your Spirit who lives in every believer. May we make much of you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And to set the tone, uh, I was thinking there was one verse that I could use to exhort and encourage us, it would be 1 Peter 4, verse 10. It's up there on the screen. I'm also going to read it from my Bible. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has given each of us gifts. That's what grace is. Something that we don't deserve, but he's given it to us. And it's not for our own purposes, but rather for him. He has given us everything we need in this body and through his spirit to bless one another. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the journey of what it's looked like for me to develop and serve with that gift, and I'll challenge you at the end to see how you can partner and do the same. So I grew up in Houston, Texas, actually. Lived there until I was 18 years old, and grew up in a Christian household. So thankful to my parents, both of which are with the Lord now. And my earliest memories are sitting around on the floor reading the Bible or a Bible story book and learning about him and going to church every time that the doors were open and getting to sing in the choir and attend vacation Bible school and so many things that y'all are familiar with. And uh, was in, even in Christian school and was around the gospel. I was around the church my entire life. And it wasn't necessarily the driving force but it definitely had overtones, and it shaped the way that I viewed the world, for even from a very young age. I believe I was saved as a young boy. I don't recall a specific moment, but definitely know that I knew that I had done wrong against God, and that he loved me, and I needed his forgiveness. I've grown in my understanding since that point, but that's where it all started, as I was discipled there in my family and my church. Continued to grow up and as Pastor Bruce mentioned, uh, we moved here in 2003. I went to Liberty Christian School my senior year of high school. And uh, around that time, I was angry about a few things, actually. I was upset with God over some things that were happening in my life that I, I didn't like. I said, if God loved me, things would look differently. Uh, and so I just said, well, he must not love me. So I decided to pursue whatever I wanted. I pursued the entertainment I wanted, the relationships I wanted. I spent my money and my time, however it is that I wanted. That's what the world tells you to do, but what it doesn't tell you is that you end up absolutely miserable. Sure, you can find, you can find comfort, joy, happiness for a few minutes, maybe a couple hours, but it fades. 
It doesn't give you the true peace that it promises. We're always told we need more and more and more, and it made no sense. As I went more and more into the things I wanted, I ended up more and more miserable. And as I look at the world around me, and I see the people that have everything that this world offers, they too were doing the same thing. They were ending up in rehab facilities and ending their marriages and all these things that I said, I, I, there's gotta be something better. And God worked through a couple different circumstances in my life, but especially my dad's life, as I was able to watch him finish the race. In the early 2000s, his, his mother passed away. A couple years later, his sister. A couple years later, his wife, which is my mom, passed away. And then he lost his job. And then he got cancer. And now he's dying of cancer. This is back about 10 years ago. And I'm watching my dad, who has had modern-day Job story, just about everything stripped out of his life. And it looks so different than mine. He has that peace. He has joy. He has happiness and hope. He continues to give even after he's lost his job. He continues to talk about God and to pray regularly and to talk to us about these things and encourage us to keep the faith. And that had a profound, tremendous influence on me as I said, that's how I want to finish. That's what I want to look like. And uh, there was a couple other things in my life. I was really messing up um, some things that um, would have ended all my dreams um, related to family and things like that. And God just woke me up one day and I said, that's it. (laughs) From this point on, I am sick and tired of doing things my way. Uh, it, it, is, it is not fulfilling. God, no more what I want, but what you want. I don't even know what that looks like, but from now on, Lord, my life, just lead me. That's when I was about 24 years old. I'm 34 now, and uh, it's been a journey, and it's been a wonderful one. Um, I do believe I was saved as a young boy, but if I wasn't then, when I was 24, I know for certain that that was, that was it. From that point, uh, I went to a pastor and a good friend of mine, and actually my dad's best friend, and I said, I, I want to be a man, but I don't even know what that looks like. My parents have passed away. My grandparents have passed away. What am I supposed to do? And he met with me regularly and discipled me. I'm talking a couple times a week for years, and just walked me through the scriptures. And a lot of that knowledge and things that I had been exposed to as a kid it's kind of like it was activated in faith, and I was finally able, my eyes were open, and I was seeing how it all fits together and how we're supposed to live. And it was during one, that time that I was in church, and a missions video played on a screen, and uh, the Lord just grabbed my heart so deeply, and uh, I became very, very convicted that I lived in a household. I, the reason I told you all that about my upbringing is because here I had been around the Bible and the gospel my whole life and didn't really think much of it. Much of it. It's just the way life was. But then when I saw a contrast on the, on the missions video and seeing there are people who are born and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit told me that's a problem. That's a problem. I would say, just <laughs> talk about being a good steward of God's varied grace, I got 12 Bibles on the shelf collecting dust, and there are people on the other side of the world who would do anything to have a Bible. And that's really shaped my life since then, and 
went and told my pastor, what, what do I do about this? And um, so he refined that, uh, that discipleship that we were doing and I uh, was encouraged to go to seminary and I did that. It took about six years. You know, I thought once I got that call to missions, okay, let's do it. It's time to go. I'm ready. Send me. And God says, hold up, son. <laughs> Not yet. And from there, it said it took about six years for school. Uh, it took a long time to get work through some medical things we had to have ready. And we had a few kids along the way. And it's, yeah, minor details, right? And it's, it's looked a lot different than I thought up until this point. I thought the same thing. I graduated from seminary in 2018. It's like, okay, I'm ready. Once again, God's saying, just wait, just be patient. I knew which way he wanted me to go, and I was trying to do everything I could to get there, but I'm so glad that it's him who's carrying me along and not doing things in my timing and my power, but rather according to um, his purpose and his will. Um, so my wife uh, has desired to be in missions ever since she was a little girl and uh, hasn't quite had the opportunities uh, come together until next Sunday. You guys can be praying for us when we'll be making that plunge into Rwanda, Africa, where um, we will get to serve together uh, in discipleship and training of the local church. I'll actually be going there to work at a seminary and just work on some other discipleship uh, activities that are happening there in the church. So even though the gospel is present in Rwanda, it's not as strong as we may hope. Um, lots of good things that God's doing, awesome things that God's doing. Um, but as an example, uh, we have a, another team there who recently uh, put on a conference for pastors just doing some training at which, of course, they presented the gospel. And there's about eight or 10 of those pastors who became Christians from hearing the gospel. So this is, this is why we go, and this is why Christy and I are excited to um, just take everything we've been exposed to from infancy and try and give back and be a good steward of that, of that grace. So that's a little bit about our journey, and uh, like I said, we leave a week from today. We're very excited for that, not knowing exactly what it would look like, but over these past seven weeks, they've really been giving us a good overview of, of what it is that a missionary does. So I think there can be a lot of ambiguity to a missionary. Uh, when we think about missions, maybe it's handing out tracts or distributing Bibles. Perhaps it's finding a way into a country where there are no Christians and you're not allowed to be a Christian and trying to start churches. And there's all different things that you can do. But it all uh, is, we can break it down into six components. It's not necessarily six clear-cut stages, but six different things that missionaries do. It's written on your bulletin, and we'll walk through them here. Um, but the first one is entry. We have to actually get into a place where the gospel is not. So I'm going to sub-Saharan Africa, and Rwanda is in sub-Saharan Africa, and just in sub-Saharan Africa, there are 55 different groups of over 100,000 people that have no Christians. 55 different groups spread around that, just part of that continent, that have no Christians, no churches, and we don't think there's anyone actively working to bring the gospel to them. So you talk about entry. <laughs> we have to research where those people are. We have to figure out how to get to them. The gospel is all over much of the world, but if you think about the isolated pockets, what about the people that are at the top of mountains? 
What about those where the government doesn't want you to get to them? I mean, we're still discovering new tribes in different parts of the world where we didn't even know people were living. But God promises to call to himself a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so the first task, or the first component of the missionary task is entry. And uh, there's a verse from Romans 10 that'll be up on your screen. And it says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And I thank you so much for sending us. We're so glad to go and to do that, actually leaving our context and almost everything we know and hold dear and going and entering into another one. We're partnering with thousands and thousands of other missionaries who have been coming before us uh, We're being sent with the International Mission Board, and uh, there's about 25,000 missionaries that they've sent over the last 175 years. That's just one organization that we're standing on their shoulders uh, and continuing this this monumental task before us. But this this is why we do it. If we don't go, they don't have a chance to believe and to hear and to hear the preaching. So that's the first component is the entry. Like I said, it involves research, it involves prayer of how to get into it. A lot of places you need what they call creative access or a platform because you can't just walk into any country that you want, but it actually takes some intentionality and some creative thinking and ways to have actually a legitimate purpose of being there. We're not wanting to go somewhere and to lie about what we're doing. No, we actually use you know, our integrity and we live openly as Christians where we are, but we need to have a legitimate purposes for being there that's okay with the government. And then the second component of the missionary task is evangelism. Evangelism. Proclaiming the good news. I mean, that is what, that is what we're doing. If you look there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were saved to proclaim the excellencies of God, what he's done for us, the marvelous things that he's done for us. And when we're talking evangelism, we're talking about the gospel. And when I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about that God created the, whole, the world, the whole world, everything that's in it, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, and the things that we can't even see, the heavens and the angels and everything else in them. It was good. It was perfect. And the pinnacle of God's creation was man, that we were created to bear his image, that we would reflect his majesty, that we would steward the earth as intended, um, and that we would live in perfect harmony with one another and perfect harmony with God. Is that what it looks like right now? Why not? Sin, yeah, little word for a big problem. That's not what it looks like now. And the gospel must start with the recognition that we're in a bad place, bad news. Because we've gone against our creator, we were created to worship God. That every single one of us, by instinct, we worship ourselves. We don't have to teach our toddlers to be selfish. We don't have to teach them to lie or to hit or to steal. 
We do these things naturally because it's in the heart of every single one of us. And that causes a problem because God is holy and loving and righteous and just. And he can't tolerate sin. That's bad news. And we feel it, every single one of us. I was telling you part of my story, that I felt that. I was empty, and I'm seeking after everything I want. But yet, like rubber bands coming out of a ball, every time I try one of these different things, it just snaps right back, and I feel even more broken. So what are some of the things that we can pursue in this world to help us feel um, assuaged of our guilt or the, the problems that we have? Money? What else? Love? Yeah. Maybe drugs? Yep. Just spending, just entertainment. Just entertain myself. If I can just zone out for a few hours, everything's going to be okay. But what happens once you're through all of those things? We just snap right back into it. That we are still in that broken place. We can never actually escape the effect of the sin that, that we have on our life. But God, because he loves us, created a way for us to break out of that and get back into the perfect peace and harmony that he created. That he sent his son. God actually entered into creation, became a literal man. A man who lived a perfect life. A life that had no sin, where he perfectly worshipped God with everything he had from the time he was born until the time he gave his life on the cross. And we hated him for it. We killed him. We hung him on a tree. But God, because of the love that he has for us, he poured out his wrath against sin, the problems in this world. He poured that on his own son. And Jesus bore our penalty in his body on that tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And he provided a way Anyone who repents of their sin, turns away and says, God, I'm so sorry. I've been a fool. I've tried all these different things that I was never created for. I turn from those things and I turn to you. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Lord of my life, that he is the king. I want his forgiveness. God adopts us into his family. We're coming from a place of shame and fear and brokenness, and guilt, and God restores us, adopts us into his family, a place of honor. We become, we become co-inheritors with Jesus. Everything that's his, we inherit as well, a place of power. He wipes away all of our sin, all of our guilt. We have innocence, no shame. We can stand before God in perfect harmony. We can stand before our brothers and sisters and say, no more do I have this baggage, the things that I carried along, the brokenness, I have hope, the living hope that we were singing about because of what my God has done for me. And that's what it is, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness because we all started in that darkness and into his marvelous light. And so that's what we are to do. We are to take that marvelous light to the ends of the world, call people out of that darkness and urge them, persuade them, Plead with them, turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus and the marvelous things that he has done. So that's what we mean about evangelism. And then guess what? God's word does not return void. It does what it's going to, it will accomplish what God has sent it to do. 
which is marvelous as well because that means he is calling people to himself. And when people believe the gospel, they turn from their sin and they turn to Jesus, we start to make disciples. So discipleship, you all are very familiar with this verse and that's a wonderful thing. Right there at the end of Matthew 28, after Jesus is murdered on a cross and God raises him back to life on the third day, Jesus is meeting with his disciples and this is what he tells them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, as we just saw, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, then what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The missionary task is not just telling people about Jesus. The missionary task is also helping them be discipled, to grow in their faith, just like we're doing here at our church. God does not wish that any should perish, but that we should all come to repentance and worship him in the church. And that takes someone being sent Those 55 different groups just in sub-Saharan Africa, how will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? And how is someone going to go unless they're sent? How are they going to hear unless someone's proclaiming that message? And then once they turn to God's marvelous light, we walk alongside them and we disciple them and we teach them everything that Jesus commands. And with discipleship, The purpose of discipleship is that people will gather together into churches. So we actually, the goal of a missionary is to have healthy churches formed all over the world. And churches, churches can look really different. So I just spent the last seven weeks in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and I was able to see a couple churches there. We spoke at some that looked a lot different than this one. And uh, also, uh, during our training, they had us worship uh, in what looked like a house church. It wasn't in exactly a church, but it had that kind of format. And they gave us a lot of different cultural exposure to what things look like all over the world. And it's really challenged me and what I consider a church. Because remember, a church is not a building. A church is God's people. When we come together to be baptized and to carry out the things that he's given us to do, worshiping God, giving thanks for what he's given to us, this is is what it's for. So we see here in Ephesians 4, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up, so that it builds itself up in love. We are to help each other grow in love. We build one another up. We were given the church so that we don't have to live in isolation. We don't have to pull out, but rather we join together with others who call on God from a pure heart. That's what we're doing here, and that's what you're sending us to go do in Rwanda, and through your giving all throughout the rest of the world. As Pastor Bruce mentioned, over 250,000 every year that's going for the purpose of missions. This is why. Because we want churches formed. We don't just want people to become saved. We do. But we want them to band together, learning everything that God has commanded them to do and to worship God so that God will be worshiped in every nation, tribe, and tongue. But notice here, we have people that are equipping each other 
building themselves up in love, another critical component of the missionary task is leadership formation. It actually requires us to appoint people or work with people, train them up, disciple them to disciple their people. Because it's not the role of a missionary to go somewhere and to stay there forever in just one group of people, uh, maybe one church, and just to pastor that church and until we leave, but rather we want to raise up national people all over the world, whatever context that we're in, so that they, the church will continue long after Christy and I are gone, long after all the other missionaries are gone, because God gave right here in Ephesians 4. says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a lot of words. It's a really big task. <laughs> There's a lot in there. But that's the point. Is we, weren't, we weren't ever just supposed to figure all this stuff out by ourselves. But God actually gave those five there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, we often think of our shepherds and teachers, which is our pastors, our teachers. Those help us go deep in our faith. They help us to understand how much God loves us and what he did for us. And they equip us to do the work of the ministry. It's not on your leadership to evangelize the community and to accomplish all the tasks of the church. It's their job is to equip us that we can do the work. So we have the shepherds and teachers, but we also have the apostles and prophets and evangelists. And by apostle, I just mean sent out ones. I know there's going to be a lot of controversy over that, but I would consider missionaries as apostles. The word just means sent out. We are intentionally being sent out of a church to help the church go wider. Shepherds and teachers help it go deeper. Apostles, prophets, evangelists help the church just keep going out. And for what purpose? So the church builds itself up. When a missionary goes to any context, they're wanting to help develop those local leaders because ultimately, once again, we don't want to be there forever. We want that church to be healthy so we can move somewhere else and keep the gospel going wide, wide, wide. It was huge for me to learn that we don't just want to go and have people saved to Jesus. We do. We want them to turn from their sin to turn to Jesus, but we want them to collect together in churches, and we don't just want to go to Rwanda to meet to minister to the people of Rwanda, we want to go to Rwanda to help the people of Rwanda see that God wants to save the whole world. The surrounding countries, the surrounding continents, there are, I heard this number last week, I haven't personally validated it, but said there's 400 million believers in Sub-Saharan Africa. 400 million. That's more people that are in the United States. If we can mobilize Let's say a tenth of that. 40 million people? Okay. What if you take a tenth of that? Four million people? Any small part that we play in helping to equip the church, forming leaders to get in their DNA that we are a church that's here to keep the gospel spreading so that all people will come to know and to love our God, proclaiming the excellencies of what he has done, calling us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is why we are going. 
and healthy churches having leaders because ultimately we have the exit in mind. That's the last component is exit. And this is the picture. There's several pictures. There's lots of pictures of this in Scripture. But ultimately, God wants people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So let's look at Revelation 7, 9, and 10. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, and with, to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. If you look at that, it says, a great multitude no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and all peoples, and languages, who's excluded? Nobody. Nobody. All the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues. There is no racism in the kingdom of heaven. There is no division. You're either with him or you're against him. And God does not say, well, let's skip over that people group. Well, there's not enough of them. I don't care about them. The power of the gospel was going forth throughout all the world. So when you're sending forth missionaries, you're sending them to proclaim the gospel, to disciple those who turn in faith to Jesus, to raise up leaders, to teach them and create that DNA of wanting to create more churches around the world. Now, the church can look entirely different too. It doesn't have to look like the one that you're coming from. What does it look like in that context? We don't need a building. We don't need a particular anything. All we need is the gospel and healthy teaching. Because ultimately, with the end in mind, we know we're not going to be there. A hundred years from now, none of us are going to exist. Not here anyway. But God's church will. So having that end in mind, that we are seeking to gather around the throne and the Lamb that we can be worshiping him with people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. So our challenge today is what does that look like for us? I had told you the verse there in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In a body this big, Y'all, we have a wonderful, wonderful church, and I'm so thankful to spend time with so many of you and to see the way God moves. And he does give gifts differently. No two of us are the same. And that's what's awesome. We don't need 10 of Pastor Bruce. We need one. We don't need 10 of Jay DeWitt. We need one. Each of us, God has given us unique gifts so that when we can build each other up in love to get to that full maturity that he's calling us to, well, you say, well, Nathan, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Well, a lot of these things we're doing already. It's my encouragement, my exhortation that we are challenged to go to that next step, that we can get that vision for churches all over the world, praising the name of God, where Jesus' name has never even been spoken. They don't even have a word for Jesus. Those people we want worshiping God around the throne, it's gonna happen. So how can you be a part of that? Very practically, six things listed here. You can give. Been doing it. Continue to do it. Give sacrificially. We have dozens and dozens of missionaries just from our church that's sent out all over the world. And it makes a difference because without Romans 10, without someone being sent, how are they going to hear? 
So continue just to give sacrificially. Consider that when you're setting your budget for the year, how much should we be giving to church? Not to earn any merit or favor, but because God loves those people and we love those people too. To send, that's what you're doing today. My wife and I are so honored that you would consider us worthy to go and the time that you poured into us in discipleship and training and love and prayer and all these things to equip us, we thank you for sending us out. But guess what? We're one family. I know there are other people, even in this room, that can go, that can go. And it's the church's responsibility to train those people up and send them out. So that goes with it, that third one there, go. If you wanna go, there's lots of ways to go. You can spend weeks, you can spend months, you can spend years. Talk to your teacher, talk to your pastor and say, hey, I'd kind of like to, do we have anything going on? I'd like to do this. What does that look like? Do I need to go to school? Can I just put my foot in? Talk to somebody. I'm telling you, there are people in our church, lots of us, that can go be doing this very thing. And all of us pray. Pray. I just told you, just in sub-Saharan Africa, there's 55 different groups of people of over 100,000 people who have never heard the gospel. That's a big deal. Pray for those people. Consider, God, what, what do you want me to do with this? Should I be trying to find out who these people are and to be praying for them and looking how maybe, maybe I own a business? Maybe I can help people enter into that area. There's lots of different ways creatively that we can use to get missionaries. You have a particular set of skills that God's given you. It's for his purposes. Be a good steward of God's grace. Challenge yourself. Say, hey, how can I take my worship of God to the next level in the gifts that he has given me? And then equip. Equipping. Teachers, praise God for you. Thank you so much for all you're doing to pour into the rest of us. Parents, keep at it. It's huge. I understand I got three little ones, six-year-old, four-year-old, and a nine-month-old. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's the same thing in the faith. Disciple in the church, we disciple in our homes. We equip them. We talk about these things. Just moving into the last one now of inspiring. Talk to your grandkids about missionaries. Go get a missionary biography. Read it to them as they're falling asleep. Talk about it with your friends. Talk, if you've gone overseas, talk about that. You read something awesome God's done, talk about it. Let's inspire one another. We are to build each other up as we say, have the same vision, which is God's vision, a vision of all people from all nations, tribe, tongue, languages, worshiping him around his throne. So here's just some practical ways that you can get involved. Like I said, I know we're doing a wonderful job with a lot of these things. Let's keep at it. Let's partner together and let's see God's name proclaimed around the whole world. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your spirit that equips us to accomplish your purposes. I pray that you give us wisdom to know how to best serve you. God, you give so wonderfully, so generously and I just pray that we will be challenged to serve you, to be a good steward of that grace that you've given us. May people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and 
nations worship you, Father. May we proclaim the excellencies of what you've done as you've called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Lord, we uh, just ask your blessing on this church, on this people, knowing that it's you that we serve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.